Well, we've had a blast studying through the book of Proverbs. You know, I, I like to think of the book of Proverbs as kind of like the old school Twitter feed of the wisest king that ever walked the earth, King Solomon. It is just like line after line of like deep tweets. And if you think Twitter is on its way out, like just think again, like it's full of angry disagreements, just like all the other social media platforms out there. But I like to think about wisdom as a little bit different than knowledge. Like knowledge, you can, you can look up YouTube for knowledge to know how to do something. You, you, can, you can study things, you can read books, you can listen to podcasts and be full of knowledge. And I think we all know some really smart people who still do really dumb things, right? Like knowledge in and of itself is not enough. That's why one of those deep tweets in Proverbs has like the right word at the right time. The right word is the knowledge. The right time is the wisdom. See, wisdom is, is learning how and when and where and the right ways to apply the knowledge that we are building up, the knowledge that we're pursuing. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, it says, knowledge alone puffs up, but love builds up. Like, wisdom is that loving application of knowledge. And in a day and age where things seem uncertain, where this world is like on fire, we need Christ followers who are living and walking, not just with the knowledge of God's word, right? We need the wisdom, the right way to know how to apply it. I will give you a personal example of the difference in my recent life, of the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, quarantine. A lot of us were stuck at home and we started noticing all the projects that we've been putting off. And so a lot of businesses struggled during quarantine, but Lowe's and Home Depot were still open and doing great because we were all trying to become our own little Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? And YouTube, man, we're all spending all kinds of time on YouTube. I learned a lot of knowledge from YouTube. So a few weeks ago, we started getting ready to redo our backsplash friend of mine was going to come over and help me. So part of backsplash, you like have to knock off all the tile, take off all the covers of all the electrical outlets. So it's not exactly like the safest thing. It's not enough. I learned the hard way to just know the technique. <laughs> you got to learn from somebody who's been there, who's got experience. So my friend who's an electrician and kind of a handy guy was helping us walk through this backsplash tile process, and while we were just about done and, and kind of cleaning up the grout, he said, you got to look out for that receptacle there, that wire, that's live. If you touch it, you will get shocked. So I kind of get in a rhythm, and remember, I've got the knowledge. I've got my friend who's teaching me. I've got YouTube who's giving me some instructional videos. I feel like I've got the knowledge, but as I learned the hard way, knowledge is not enough because I haven't honed the craft. I haven't practiced the technique. And so while I get a little bit careless in my lack of experience and overall naivety of being a handyman, my finger nicks this live wire, and I remember in the moment feeling electricity pulse through my whole body, and the lights in the whole first floor of our house just shut off, and all I could say was, it shocked me, <laughs> and uh, they, standing around, my wife included, all laughed at me just like you did, like, that's not the way to, like, help somebody out who's getting shocked, just so you know. It's not a moment for laughter, but that's what Proverbs is trying to do is it's trying to help us to know how to apply the knowledge to not have to get shocked. We don't have to learn everything the hard way. Sometimes if we learn how to read God's word and apply God's word, we can walk in the ways of wisdom beyond our experience. And so today, we're going to be studying one of my favorite Proverbs 
that applies to our jobs, our, our careers, our occupation. Here's why I think this is a necessary proverb, a necessary subject. I know a lot of you watching online or here in the room during the quarantine and kind of the shutting down of our nation, maybe you got like a demotion or a pay cut or maybe you even lost your job. Well, while we are trying to navigate how to like reopen businesses, reopen public spaces, <laughs> reopen a church, your work, your job, your occupation, your calling in life, we're starting to reconnect with that. And I want you to think back to the book of Genesis to understand how important what you do with your hands is. Before God gave Adam a wife to love, he gave him some work to do in the Garden of Eden. And all the fathers of daughters here say amen, right? Like, I've got a three-year-old girl, and you're not going to come asking for her hand one day unless you got a J-O-B, young man. So God gave us work before he gave us even relationships, and Adam didn't have church and barns and places to worship. So Adam's original act of worship was what he did with his hands. It was his work. It was his occupation. It was his calling. And that was his spiritual act of worship for God. So what you do with your hands, whether you're changing diapers as a stay-at-home mom, and can we just say that quarantine has finally made us all appreciate how difficult it is to be a stay-at-home mom? Like, Can we just say we love and we appreciate what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom? That's a job, that's a profession, that's a career, that's a calling. So whether you're changing diapers or making burgers and flipping burgers or flipping real estate deals, what you do with your hands matters deeply to God. Like, Just think about the 24 hours that we're all given. Eight of those are spent sleeping, which when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk with God. I think that's an incredible waste of time. Like, I know you probably, like, love a good nap, but I've got this chronic case of FOMO, fear of missing out. So every time I've got to, like, talk myself into going to sleep at night because I'm like, man, eight hours. Like, I could watch so many Netflix shows over the next eight hours. Well, that leaves us 16. So the only other thing that gets a full focused eight hours is your job, your profession, your occupation, your calling. And then the other eight hours is like running errands, trying to have family time, trying to do some projects around the house, shopping, groceries. And that's kind of divided up between the four hours before work and the four hours after work. And then you go back to sleep. So the eight hours that gets the best part of your day, the best part of your focus, that should matter. That should matter to you because as you're going to see here in Proverbs chapter 22, it matters deeply to God. In Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 29, Solomon tells us, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. You see someone skillful in their work. This is a, a proverb that is both a principle and a promise. And, and the promise that Solomon is trying to make is that, man, when you work hard, when you value excellence, when you have a disciplined work ethic, life has a funny way of opening up doors to those who are faithful, to those who are disciplined, to those who take what they do with their hands very seriously. And I think as Christ followers, whatever it is, in your cul-de-sac or your cubicle, we should be among the best in our fields because we bear the image of God. We are his representatives. So we, of all people, Jesus people, should not be cutting corners, <laughs> should not be kind of settling for the status quo. We should have a disciplined work ethic that creates opportunities because I think God wants you 
to not only be successful in your career, your profession, your passion, your occupation, your calling. I think he wants you to have a life that is far more meaningful than just success or failure, rich or poor. I think he wants you to live a life of significance as a Christ follower. Because if you know Jesus to be the Lord of your life, that means you have the hope of the world. You have the solutions to all of life's problems living inside of your heart. So there should be something different about the way that we live, the way that we lead, the way that we work, the way that we love. It's bigger than a promotion. It's bigger than a status. It's bigger than a retirement plan. This opportunity, this promise that he says here, you will stand before kings. You will not stand before obscure men. These are opportunities that we leverage not for our own greatness and for our own notoriety, but to ultimately point people toward Jesus. What you do matters. You at your workplace, you in your cul-de-sac, you around the water cooler, you are a representative, an ambassador of Christ. And the way that we conduct ourselves in our workplaces, the way that we conduct ourselves with what we are putting our hands to do says a lot about our devotion and our dedication to what we believe about who Jesus is and how we are supposed to represent him. Now look, I'm a millennial. I'm a little bit on the older side of millennials. But what I know about my demographic is we are the least loyal generation when it comes to the workforce. We want to know that our job matters. We want to know that our job is going to have an impact. And when we don't feel like our job is having an impact in this world, studies show that we jump ship and go to the next thing because we're looking for impact. We're looking for significance. We're looking for our future hopes and dreams to become like our current reality. And that's just not the way this principle or this promise found in Proverbs works. Your job for today, your job is your job, but your future is God's job. The, the, the part that we have control over in this verse is the first question. Do you see a man skillful in his work? That is your job, to hone your craft, to hone your skill. Now, the book of Proverbs was written in the Hebrew language, and a lot of things get lost in translation when, when you're just reading it at surface level in English. Because in English, we have the same word for like, I love cheeseburgers and I love my wife. But I've got two different emotions about cheeseburgers. I mean, I really love cheeseburgers. <laughs> no, no, no. So you lose a little bit of description when you don't understand the nuances of the Hebrew language. When they saw this word, skillful worker, it means someone who's quick and ready. Someone who's quick and ready. You only become quick and ready through hundreds of thousands of hours where no one's watching, where there's no spotlight, where there's no social media shout out, where there's no glory. It's the practice field of life. It's not the performance field of life where you become skilled and quick and ready. Let me give you an example. In the fall last year, some of the Mountain Lake bros had a flag football thing going on, and I made it out for a few of those games and uh, quick and ready were not any of the terms used to describe my athletic performance out there in the flag football field because I didn't grow up honing a craft of football. I grew up as a musician, so if I were to like dust off the guitar and maybe audition for Sean on the worship team, I think I would make the cut. And I'm not saying that from a place of cockiness. It's confidence because I've done my work. I've skilled my craft. I know how to play guitar. I feel great about my ability with guitar. You have these skills, you have these disciplines, you have a quickness and a readiness in your life as well. Let me prove it to you. What are the things that just almost come like second nature in your life now? Driving, 
It's not hard for you to have a conversation and drive, right? It's not hard for you to maybe even eat and drive. You have the ability to maybe even text without looking, right? I'm not talking about texting and driving. I'm talking like right now, some of you could fool me by making eye contact with me, but you'd still be texting your friend because your muscle memory of where the buttons are on your keyboard on your iPhone, right? Think about the things that your job, that you've got a new team member, that you've been given the responsibility of onboarding this new team member and trying to teach them some of these skills, some of these ins and outs of your job, and you get frustrated because you're like, it would just be so much faster if I did it myself, right? Or maybe your profession, your career is being a stay-at-home parent. You're trying to teach kids how to do chores. You're like, man, we're never going to get where we need to go if they're the ones doing the chores. It'd just be easier if I did it anyway. You all have a skill that you have honed, a talent that you have developed, and that's what Solomon is talking about here in this proverb. Quickness and readiness that gets developed through quiet discipline when nobody's watching. It's the practice field versus the the performance. So what does that look like in your life? What skills are you honing? What talents are you developing so that opportunity, when it finds you, you will be ready. Because the verse continues to say that you will stand before kings. There's a big difference when you stand before somebody of influence and power by assignment versus by accident. Here's what I mean by that. I have been at the right place at the right time several times now to just like be around celebrities. And it's always been by accident. Like, I've never been in the room of somebody with great fame or notoriety by assignment. Like, I've never been invited into a celebrity's presence. A few years ago, I was at the Miami airport about to get on a plane. And they were just, like, shuttling us from the, uh, the terminal to one of these smaller American Airlines jets. And I'm watching something happen on the shuttle. I see somebody who's definitely a politician get in. He's got like this American flag pin on his suit. And there's all these like people that look kind of like Secret Service around him. And it turned out it was a pretty prominent political figure named Marco Rubio. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm in the presence of a politician. This guy, he's, he's going somewhere. And I just trying to think, well, how, how do I not make a fool of myself? And all I could say was, uh, hey, have I seen you on TV? <laughs> It's like that every time. When you're in the presence of somebody of great influence and it's by accident, you don't have a lot of confidence. But if you're in the presence of your boss by assignment because you have passed the test and you're ready for promotion, you can approach those moments ready because you have skilled your craft. And it's not just about the promotion. It's not just about the pay raise. It's about honoring God with your work ethic. It's about knowing that what you do with your hands, it matters to God. So so what I think Solomon is trying to tell us about our work ethic, about our future hopes and dreams, is that my work today, like what I'm doing with my hands, my work today greatly affects the doors that God will open for me tomorrow. It's this idea of, of you plant the right seeds, you can expect the right kind of harvest. If you work hard today and hone your craft today, You may not feel like what you're doing matters very much right now. You may not feel like your job has a lot of impact. Trust me, I know what it's like to have a miserable job, and that's not Mountain Lake. Don't get me wrong. I'm living my best life working for Mountain Lake, but a long time ago, I worked for this organization called Little Caesars. And I was, the, I was the sign guy that stood by the road, $5 hot and ready, right? Like, it's hard to see how that occupation will make a difference in the world. You, you kind of justify by saying, well, I'm, I'm feeding hungry people. 
$5, right? Like I'm helping those who can't afford Pizza Hut. If you've ever been in a place where you feel like your job doesn't matter, if you ever feel like you've not been able to connect your profession, your occupation, your career, your calling to a greater purpose, if you want to feel like your job matters, my question to you is, do you matter to your job? Do you matter to your team? Do you matter to your organization? Because here's what I promise you. In those times of obscurity where you're just working a job just to make ends meet and you're flipping burgers, that there are some divine appointments that are set up where people are supposed to notice you and notice something different about you and begin to ask questions about, man, why do you carry yourself the way that you do? Why do you have dignity in such a monotonous task? Why do you have purpose at Little Caesars? And God is going to use those seasons of obscurity to make himself known in and through something as simple as your performance, your demeanor, your countenance at what feels like a dead-end job can say a lot about who God is to you. Paul will echo this sentiment later in the New Testament in the book Colossians. I want to share this verse with you because I think what you're going to see in the book of Colossians here in chapter 3 is that for Christ's followers, there really is no opportunity for neutrality. We are either glorifying God or we're not. There's only two categories. There's not a middle ground. What we're doing is either making a kingdom difference or it's not. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's pretty cut and dry there. Everything that we do with our hands is an opportunity to make a big deal of who Jesus is as the king of our life, as our redeemer, as our leader, as our Lord and Savior. Everything we do, the monotonous, thankless tasks are an opportunity to perform as a way, as if this task is for something bigger than a paycheck. This task is bigger than a promotion. This task is an opportunity to honor God. This task is an opportunity to revisit Eden and understand that work is a means of worship. And when we're faithful with today, God is faithful with tomorrow. See, all God is is love. He can't help but to love you. He loves you unconditionally. But God doesn't owe us opportunity. God doesn't owe us blessings, right? God doesn't actually owe us anything. This is the principle that Solomon is trying to get us to understand is that if we want to have a future that matters, it starts with the monotony and the faithfulness with what's happening today. So the wisdom for us in the menial, thankless task is to begin to redefine success, is to begin to redefine what it looks like to win. What it might mean is maybe that promotion, maybe that destination, maybe that accomplishment isn't the real definition of success. Matter of fact, if you study a lot of Jesus' teaching, everything that the world around us describes as winning 
is kind of turned upside down in the kingdom of God. And he says, the way that you actually become first, the way that you actually win is by being a servant. You want to get one up on your enemy or the people who are gossiping about you at work. It's by praying for them and serving and blessing those who curse you. So we've got to begin to adjust our definition of success. And maybe it's not about unlocking a certain achievement or another trophy for the case. Maybe it's more about faithfulness and and steadiness and honoring God with the small things. Because I think you've probably gotten somewhere in life before where you're like, man, when I do that, then, (laughs) then I'll be fulfilled, right? In high school, you're just about trying to get that college scholarship. And you know what? A lot of people have gone broke on lottery so that you can get that college scholarship. (laughs) But then you kind of go through that grind, and then you realize, man, like, it's kind of hard to get a job. I thought this degree would kind of, like, open my door. (laughs) Every mile marker that the world says is the path to success tends to be a bit of an empty promise if that's our definition of success as well. You'll reach that benchmark, and you'll be found wanting. So how do we live a life of significance? How do we stand before kings? How do we live a life that warrants God to open up doors for us to live a life that truly matters? Well, somebody I love to study named John Maxwell, he has a great definition that I think helps us begin to recalibrate what it means to really be winning, and I think it's right in line with this proverb. He says, success is knowing your purpose in life, growing to reach your maximum potential, and sowing seeds that benefit others. Now, friends, that's a life that can keep you busy until the day that you meet Jesus face to face. Knowing your purpose Reaching your potential, sowing seeds that benefit others. Friends, that's not a mile marker. That's not an accomplishment. That's not a trophy or a ribbon. That is a lifelong journey that I think can only be accomplished through saying, God, what do you want out of me today? How can I live life with the monotony and the boring, thankless (laughs) routine tasks of today? that you can't help but to bless tomorrow. I believe that every Christ follower is meant to live a life that matters. I believe there are problems on planet Earth that you are meant to be a solution to. I believe that there are no accidents, the things that catch your attention in this world that don't seem okay. If if God has given you a burden for something, you may be a part of the solution Anybody can notice problems, but Christ followers who carry the presence of God with them are meant to do something. And the way we begin to solve those problems around the world is to first solve the problems in our own life and to be faithful with the assignment that God has put in front of us today. There's a lot of messes to clean up in the world around us, but if I'm honest, there's a lot of messes I need to clean up in my room when I get home tonight. Taking responsibility for what God has placed in my care today is the most surefire way to have a meaningful, significant future tomorrow. God has built you and designed you to represent Him. 
in the times of obscurity and in the times when you stand before kings. There are divine appointments that are set up for you. And the way we prepare for those is with the slow, steady rhythms of grace, the comings and goings, the daily disciplines, just to pull in a little bit closer to Jesus today than I did yesterday, to try a little bit harder at work today than I did yesterday, to never settle for the status quo, to always give a little bit more. What you do with your hands, where you place your focus, how you steward the opportunities today matters deeply to God. Your work is a part of your worship. And as we're entering into a new chapter in 2020 and we're re-entering the workplaces and trying to figure things out, that is your mission field. It is your sanctuary. You are meant to represent the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ in your work ethic, in your conversations, in your countenance, in your demeanor. All of these small things add up and can create a life of significance. So I invite you to apply the wisdom of Solomon and to become skilled in what you do, to have a quickness and a readiness for the talents, the dreams, the ambitions that God has placed in your life. He's got a plan. He'll play his part. He's putting the ball in our court, asking us if we're ready to take the shot. Let's pray and then we'll worship together. And so Jesus, over these next few moments, I would ask that you would allow us just to search our hearts, to search our lives, whether it's hobbies or careers or parenting or being a better son, being a better daughter, being a better brother, a better sister, being a better student. I pray that we see everything as something spiritual. Everything is an opportunity to serve you more and to help us to realize, Lord, that we can, we can matter. We can live a life of significance. We can help bring heaven to earth, but it starts today, it starts now. So reveal to us, Lord, our next steps in following you more deeply and becoming the men and women that you called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.